There are a couple of things that uh, I need to make you aware of this morning. One is that um, Heather Lim's father passed away just this morning, uh, just died about 7 o'clock this morning. They had been with him all night long, up with him, and uh, he breathed his last at about 7 a.m. this morning. So I know the limbs are hurting about that, and, and we need to be thinking about them, remembering them in our prayers for sure. Second thing is, that I, I was just taking note this morning that there are uh, some people, especially some that are relatively new to us this morning, who, um, who are not yet in life groups or haven't joined a life group yet. And I just wanted to say, especially if you live in this area, that we would love to have you come and join us on Wednesday evenings. We meet at 6.30 here for our life group on Wednesday evenings. There are a number of people who are kind of from, from this community. And uh, Robin and I are also in that group, and we don't live too far from this community, and so we're part of that. And we would love to have you come and join us at 6.30 uh, on Wednesday evening if you don't have another life group of which you're part. And that would be absolutely fantastic. There's an invitation. Please come and join us. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you and praise you this morning that we can gather in your name. I thank you, God, that you're with us as we gather. Father, I pray that this morning as we focus on something that's uh, this incredible event uh, in the history of the world, and yet at the same time is just an event in, in your life and your relationship with us. We pray that you'd bless us as we consider that today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I would love for everybody to look at Genesis chapter 4, first of all, this morning. Genesis is really easy to find in your Bible. You know, sometimes, like if I would have said, turn to Zechariah 6, everybody would have panicked, okay? But when I say Genesis, you all breathe a sigh of relief and say, I think I can find the very first book in the Bible. I don't know about you, but uh, I was raised uh, in a non-Christian home. Most of you, I don't think that was the case, but for some of you, that was the case. And so if you were raised in a non-Christian home like me, then you experienced what I experienced when you joined the church, and that was all these people around you everywhere knew all of these Bible stories, and you didn't know any. That's how I was. And I can remember as a teenager going into a Bible class and the teacher would start to teach something and he would make all these assumptions about what people knew in terms of these old stories from the Bible and I didn't know any of them. Except for maybe one. Because I had heard about Noah and the ark. This is one of those stories. One of those stories that gets passed down not just within our faith but in our society. And so you can go to most people in our world and say something, well, you can just say the word Noah, okay? And they're either going to think of Bill Cosby, okay? And if you're old enough, you're going to get that. Or they're going to think of the Bible. Well, and, and I have to admit that by the time I started in Bible classes as a teenager, the only Noah probably that I really knew was that voice of Bill Cosby's. Do you remember that? Where God speaks like, Noah. And then, and then Noah, you know, God says, build an ark. And Noah says, right. Well, first he says, what's an ark? Okay, no idea. So that was, that was my understanding, really, of what Noah and the ark was, although I definitely had heard the story. 
Well, I'm hoping that this morning we can do something a little bit better than that in terms of our understanding of what Noah is all about. And here's the thing I want us to get, and, and it's really important that you track with me this morning in terms of staying with the Bible there and, and, and getting out of these verses what we need to get through. And by the way, we can't read the story. It's about three chapters, don't have time to read it all, but I'm going to focus on some key points here in terms of Noah and the ark and what I think are the essential uh, kind of ingredients here. And, and, and there really are some major points, there's four of them, four major issues or points that I want to make about this story that I think we need to focus on. And I'll I'll just call these kind of the big ideas that come out of Noah and the ark. And the first one looks like this. There has been, since the fall, a corrupt side to humankind and a good side. Now, you're going to remember from the very first chapter that we looked at that God created human beings. How? He creates them in his image. And so there's a part of human beings that is indeed great, wonderful, in fact, godly, in fact. We are made in the image of God. But it doesn't take very long before the fruit is eaten and the human nature becomes distorted and we very quickly become other than what God wanted us to be. And we've already skipped over chapter 4 by moving on to chapter 6, but I want us to go back for a second to chapter 4 and just want to see something here about chapter 4 and about this whole notion of there being two sides to human beings, a corrupt side that's corrupted by the fall, and then a very good side. Now, most of you know, I didn't know this, but most of you know the story of Cain and Abel. And so there's two brothers, and they are Adam and Eve's sons. And Cain is the older one. Cain ends up not being a good guy. And in fact, in this story, represents the kind of prototypical evil that is part of humankind. And so Cain ends up doing what to his brother? Kills him. He commits murder, Cain does. Abel, on the other hand, is portrayed as the good brother. Now some of you are out there thinking, I wish I would have been the good brother. But you were like... Tommy Smothers or something, okay? Mom always liked the other one best. And so here we have here we have Cain not doing at all what God wants him to do, and he ends up killing his brother. Now look at verse 19, because the story continues from Cain and Abel, and they end up, Cain does, ends up having children. And there's a lineage that comes out of Cain, and in verse 19 of chapter 4, there's discussion here specifically about Cain's lineage. It says, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for, for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Now, if I was just ask you, does that sound good and godly or not so good and not so godly, what would you say? Not so godly. And in fact, this makes total sense. You've got Cain who commits murder and his offspring ends up in his lineage following the same kind of pattern. It specifically says that he committed murder. Somebody... Bugged me. And so I killed them. 
he essentially says. And so there's this, again, a pattern established within humankind. Now look at verse 25. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enoch. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, this is interesting. Because it sounds like that up until that time, men were not calling on the name of the Lord. When did they start calling on the name of the Lord? They start talking about God and calling on the name of the Lord when Seth is born. And so it appears as though there is two lines set up here. You've got Cain and his lineage, which ends up murdering. And you've got Seth and his line. And when Seth's line is established, it says, and men began to call on the name of the Lord when Seth basically is born and starts his line. And then it continues. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man, which is just a regurgitation of the story we've heard before. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son, and in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Now, as the story goes on, the only lineage we hear about now is Seth's lineage. lineage. And what ends up coming out of this, by the, end, by the time you get to the end of Seth's lineage, is Noah. And so Noah comes out of, help me here, church, Noah comes out of, at the end of this line of Seth's, the good line or the ungodly line. Which line does Noah come from? The good line. He comes from Seth's line. Sure he does. So there are these two lineages, but Noah doesn't come from the bad lineage. He comes from the good lineage. And clearly, you've got this kind of dark side and bright side set up here in God's world. People are acting, in some cases, very badly, not at all what God wants them to be and do, and then in some cases, very much like what God wants them to do. So here's a kind of summary. After Abel is killed, two sons remain. Cain's lineage in 419-24, and we see Lamech's polygamy. This is where polygamy starts, is with Lamech. He's, there's vengefulness, there's murder, there's excessive evil. On the other side, Seth's lineage in 425-54. through 54, He takes the place of Abel, and someday I'll learn how to spell Abel. Men call on the Lord. I mean, I do know how to spell Abel, it's just that I know how to spell it two different ways, and I've decided to use them both. Men call on the Lord. He follows after Adam's likeness, and his lineage is the source of Noah. And so something kind of significant and, in fact, dramatic is happening here as this whole story gets set up. Now, here's the second big idea that comes out of this story. And the first one is this notion that there are these two ways of being before God, and sometimes human beings are just not good at all. The second one is this. The corrupt side of humanity, Cain's way, tends to dominate. And when I say it tends to dominate, I don't mean so much in the sense of uh, a dominant nation or something that rises up. What I mean is it dominates in your life and it dominates in my life. Look at chapter 6, verse 1 with me. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. 
Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. And then look down at verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and that his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. So there's a sense in which this is a disaster. Now, there's still these two lineages. You've got Cain's lineage and you've got Seth's lineage. But the only one good, even in Seth's lineage, ends up being Noah. And anyone else who's born in Seth's line ends up following the same pattern. And so you've got Cain's lineage that ends up pretty much entirely bad. You've got most of Seth's lineage ending up not so good, even though this is, in fact, the good lineage. Why is it not so good? Because the fall has taken place. It's corrupted humankind. And the fact is that all of these people were standing before God and not doing at all what God wanted them to do. And that is, in fact, the story of humankind. And what does the Bible say that God's response to this is? What is God's feeling in response to what humankind has become? What's the word that's used there? Grieved. Grieved. You know, this morning, Heather Lim is not angry because her father's passed away. When something bad happens, when Peter was holding down, um, <laughs> when Peter was holding down Ezra, <laughs> he wasn't mad at Ezra. He was grieving because he had to hold his son down and, and cause him some pain in the midst of actually doing something good for him. Heather's not mad. Heather is heartbroken this morning. She's grieving. That's the word we use when there's pain in our hearts. And what God was feeling when he looked at human beings was not so much anger as much as it was grief. God's heart was broken because of what human beings had become. Now, this is interesting because, you know, we tell this story in Sunday school and the little kids hear this story and other stories and they're just children's stories almost to us. But this is not a children's story. This is a story about humankind breaking God's heart. This is you and me breaking God's heart to the point where the Bible says that God is grieved. Now, we know out of his grief there comes, in fact, destruction. There are, God says, I'm going to have to do something here and it's not going to be good. But that is not the only thing that happens here. And so I want you to look at verse 8 in chapter 6. And this to me is absolutely fascinating. It says in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their waves. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I will surely, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make for yourself, he says, an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And he begins to talk to them about the ark. And so there's this incredible destruction that is going to come on the earth. But right in the middle of that destruction, we find not only destruction, but we find God's grace. And where do we see it? Well, we see it in verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. And it seems like such a throwaway kind of line. It's just the story about the ark and it being made. But in the story of the ark being made is all of God's grace coming to humankind because he decides not to destroy us all. He decides instead to preserve us and to give us a place where we can be safe and protected. Now, I've handed out pieces of paper to several of you this morning uh, asking you to read a passage of Scripture. I just want you to stand and read the passage of Scripture that I've given you to read. So I hope you're all ready to do this. I don't remember who I gave these to, so if somebody misses one, I'll try and fill in the gaps here. But I want you to start with chapter 6, verse 8. Who has that? Just stand and read it loudly. Thanks, Steve. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. (laughs) Very good. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We'll just kind of do this in rapid-fire fashion. Go ahead. Uh, This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless, among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Very good. Chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Thank you. Chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Chapter 7, verses 8 through 9. Let me read it. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. And what I want us to see from each of those verses, and if you were to go back and read those again or look at them again, what you would find is that in each each case, the verse says something about Noah's righteousness and where he's at. God specifically blesses Noah because of his righteousness. He does what God wants him to do. God looked for a good person. And which line is he going to take that from? He looks for a good person with whom to continue the relationship. He doesn't want to destroy everyone. God longs for relationship. And so he builds around this one person who is a good person the very things that he wants to have there, protection and relationship and being with God. And at the end of this this little part of the story, it says specifically that God shut him in the ark. And why does he do that? He does it specifically for Noah's protection, for God to be able to bless him and have him be where he needs to be. And so the third major point that needs to come out of this is God always finds the good in humankind and he ends up blessing us even despite ourselves. Isn't it great that God does that? He's so disgusted by human beings. The way they have have 
been so ungodly in their behavior and the murder that's been part of their lives. But he preserves us nonetheless and does it specifically through one of the good ones in order to preserve us and let us have relationship with him. Now, as we move toward the last big idea here, there's a couple of things I want you to notice. First of all, chapter 6, verse 13 says, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I just want to ask the question, does that happen? Is that what he does? Does God put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them? It doesn't. It doesn't happen. And it's not because God doesn't keep his word. It's because he wants to preserve humankind. And so even though he says, I'm sick of this, I've got to kill these people off in order to start something new, he ends up not completely doing us in because ultimately he loves us. And then look at verses 17 and 18. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. God wants to be in covenant relationship with us. And so even while he knows he has to destroy, he at the same time is willing to preserve. Now, why does he do that? Why does God preserve even though there is so much evil? Well, that comes in the last big idea that we need to talk about. And it's this. God wants covenant relationship with us. And so consistently, constantly, everlastingly extends his grace. And so this isn't so much the story of God destroying humankind. But a lot of times, that's what the kids focus on in their lessons. That's what we hear. The floodwaters rose up and everyone died. But the story isn't so much that as much as it is God who saves us. And in a sense, saves us from ourselves. He longs for covenant relationship and creates a way for it to happen again. Look at this last verse that I want to read this morning. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now I remember when I first started hearing about Noah's flood and really understanding it and people were talking about this promise the thing that people always focused on is they would say well no he's not going to destroy it by floodwaters instead next time he's going to destroy it by fire that's what we focused on he's going to come and destroy it by fire not a flood and so the promise will be kept well that's not hardly the point The point is not God's going to destroy it by fire next time instead of by a flood. The point is is that he's preserved it. The point is that he doesn't want to destroy it. That he instead longs for relationship with us. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. His point is that he wants us to be in relationship with him. The rest of the story, the rest of God's redemptive story is nothing more than God attempting throughout history to love us and be in relationship with us, to reach out for us, to us. He wants to be in covenant relationship with us. That is what God is all about. And that's as evident in the story of the flood as it is anywhere else throughout Scripture. Let's pray.
Holy Father, we thank you for the privilege and blessing we have of being your children today. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to serve and honor you in every way. And we pray that that we, Father, would be people that you would look at and say, Oh, this is a person doing my will. Father, I don't expect us to get into a situation again where we end up having to be ones to build an ark. But if it happened, God, we pray that you would call us, that you'd find us, that you'd find us faithful. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.